over the autumn, God willing, is that for the next four weeks we're going to look at the story of Gideon in the book of Judges. <clears throat> and, uh, and then after that we are going to work through the book of Revelation. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So October, November, and the start of December will be the book of Revelation. That's the plan there. So um, that should be some nice uh, meaty sermons coming through. We trust that God will help us as we, uh, as we, as we look to um, unpack those passages from the Bible. So we're going to look at the story of Gideon, series on that. It's, uh, it's, a, it's one of those um, stories that was very important in a prophetic way for us when we started the church. I'll explain what I mean by that is that in the early days of the church, when we first started the church, um, there were numbers of people who kind of independently of one another approached us from outside the church and said, we've been praying, and the story of Gideon comes to mind. And as we, as we look at the story over the next four weeks, when we reach certain parts of the story that, that people felt that, the, that as they were praying for us that God had spoke to them about, we'll, we'll make mention of that and, and, and emphasize that just so that we are uh, how can I put it? So that we are sort of soaking as a church in the prophetic things God has spoken over us. It's important that we do that. The Apostle Paul in the book of Timothy talks to Timothy. And, and in, um, in 1 Timothy 1 verse 18, it's a very interesting phrase. Um, he says this to him. He says, um, he says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the, pro- with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. He's saying, Timothy, people have prophesied over you, which means that under God's inspiration, they've spoken things over you that are for your encouragement, that are, that are for your strength, uh, that, are, that are to equip you, and that you then use those prophecies to fight, well, to, to how does he phrase it, to wage the good warfare. And um, we do that individually. I'm sure many of us who have been believers for a while would have things that God has spoken clearly to us prophetically. Maybe there's been two or three people independently that have come and, and said, I really believe God is emphasizing this particular scripture or this truth for you. And you've really realized, wow, this isn't just me. This is something God's really emphasizing. And that's something as individuals that we can use to, to wage the warfare against discouragement, against unbelief, and really use it to, to fight through. But also as a church, God has given us prophecies. And it's so that we can use them to wage the good warfare in the spiritual sense. And so it's important that we are just around them and that, we, and that we are refreshed and reminded of them. So it's really important for that reason. It's also great to be able to just work through a good Old Testament passage. We haven't done that for a little while as a church, so it'd be great to work through the narrative of the story of Gideon. Now, I just want to give you a quick update in terms of what, what, what's, what the, what's happening in the book of Judges. Who of you have read the book of Judges recently? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably not one that you would necessarily... Go to. It's actually not very encouraging as a book. Um, it's quite depressing. And, and here's why. I'll, t- I'll tell you briefly the, the, the headlines of the story up to this point so you understand what's going on. God, God calls a, a man called Abraham um, and um, makes him big, big promises about through his offspring blessing the whole world. And it's a big gospel promise. And ch- he changes his name to Abraham 
which I'm sure you've heard of Abraham. He's married to Sarah, and together um, they kind of they model the life of faith. And Abraham, particularly in the Bible, is called the father of our faith. And those who believe in Christ are called sons of Abraham. It's he's a really big deal, and he's he's one of the patriarchs, the fathers really of faith. And he has a son uh, Isaac, who then has Jacob, and Jacob has twelve sons who become the twelve tribes. Of Israel. Um, now the 12 tribes of Israel end up, um, well the, the 12 sons end up moving down through the story of Joseph, moving down to Egypt where they really be- multiply and become a nation. And um, after a number of centuries, 400 or so, 400 or so years, they, they become a, an oppressed people by um, the Egyptian Pharaoh. And, um, and God raises up Moses to rescue them and he brings them out of Egypt He's probably numbering three, or three million or so out of Egypt through the wilderness for 40 years. And then just at that point, Moses dies. But just before that, hands over to Joshua to lead the people of Israel into the promised land, over the river Jordan, into Canaan. They get into the promised land and then the, the Joshua generation dies out, if you like. And it's described um, in this way in the book of Judges. It says this. It says... Um, All that generation, just just said Joshua's just died. Then it says, in all that generation, Joshua's generation, who were a victorious, faith-filled generation in the main, were also gathered to their fathers. That means they died. And there arose another generation after them who didn't know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So it's, it's one generation passes and another generation is raised up, but they don't know God. Now, they would have been told the stories, it's clear as we read on, that they would have been. Nevertheless, they didn't know them. In the Bible, the word know is is an experiential word. It's not just head knowledge. It's about knowing, knowing God and the works he's done. They didn't have any experience of God. They didn't have any experience of his miracles. And so, as a result, they were a very, very... It's cool. Baby's cool. Not a problem. I've got the mic. It's cool. So, so they they were very, very different in their approach. And as a result, what, what you find through the book of Judges is this cycle of sin. And basically the sin involves them trying to worship all the other gods that people around them are worshipping and still trying to worship the Lord. It, uh, uh, we use the word syncretism. It's a joining together of two things which you, which you just cannot bring together, the worship of God and the worship of anything else. God says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I alone am the creator. All other so-called gods are are." Um, are created, are imaginations of the human mind. Whereas he is the one who imagined the human mind. He's the creator. Right? So they're constantly trying to do this thing, syncretism, joining together. So sin, then suffering. God says, okay, I love you, but because you've got to realize that where, what you're doing, where it goes. And so God permits um, uh, other armies to come and oppress and invade and overtake them, and they suffer. Then they shout. They cry out to God, God, help us, save us. And then at that point, God saves them by raising up a judge. Then they're rescued for a while, then they sin. And that is the book of Judges. Round and round and round. By the time we get to Gideon in chapter 6, we've had four judges already. Now we're on to the fifth cycle. So Gideon chapter 6, we're going to read the first 24 verses. I'm very sorry that it won't come up on the screen. I will try my best to read it well so that it is... uh, arresting and interesting the bible says do not neglect the public reading of scripture so it's important that we do this and just soak in the word of god so judges chapter 6 verse 1 the people of israel did what was evil in the sight of the lord and the lord gave them into the hand of midian seven years 
And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number both they and their camels could not be counted so they laid waste the land as they came in and Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel and he said to them thus says the Lord the God of Israel I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land and I said to you I am the Lord your God you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth of Ophrah, it's a tree, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, Why then has all this happened to us? And where are all these wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I'll be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I've found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speaks with me. Please don't depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes, put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened and cakes and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord and Gideon said alas oh Lord God for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face but the Lord said to him peace be to you do not fear you shall not die then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace to this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abiyaz rites. It's the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We love, um, we love it, Lord. We really do. Even, even when we read in periods of history which were uh, hard and tough, we thank you so much for y- your glory that shines through off the pages. And I do pray, help, help me, Lord, help me with this message that it would, that it would come in the, in the Holy Spirit. I pray for that. Please, God, please. Give me freedom to really speak in, in the power of the Spirit. And I pray for all those who listen. 
Let's pray for them now. Pray, God, just whatever's going on in their minds, whatever's happening, whatever's buzzing around, I do pray, Lord, that you would really help them to just stop and hear from your word. And it would really do so much good for us as a church and for our guests. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I really, what I want to do is I want to look at this story of, of, the, of, of the, the Lord uh, coming uh, to Gideon and this commission and, and, and really just look at it in light of, uh, I guess the best place to start is, is when God comes to someone or to a congregation and, and, he, and he has something for them to do. Oh, what, are the, what, are the, what are the things that are going on? What are, the main kind of, what are the main things that are happening there? How does God operate when he calls someone? When he calls someone to himself for the first time? How does God operate? When God calls someone and sends them on a mission, what are the things that are really the, the strong themes that are underlying it? Or how does God deal with us? How does God work with us? These are really important questions um, for us to, to look at. Gideon's mission was, you've got to destroy the Midianites. Now, that's not our mission. So we need to stop and say, okay, how does it work for us? It's not like at 5.30, right, guys, come on, let's go to Midian. That's not what we're doing. You know that, I know that. So we've got to stop and say, well, what is it? Well, there is a commission on every believer. Before Jesus ascended back to the Father, he said, he did say go. Yes, to Midian, but not just to Midian, to every nation of the world and make disciples. And uh, it's... It can be something that we're so familiar with that you think, well, yeah, I know that. But hold on a minute. No, 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 no. You've been commissioned by God. If you're, if you're a believer here today, and there may be some of you who you're, you're simply here to find out more about Jesus, you wouldn't yet say you're a disciple. You're so welcome. Please stick around and, and hear about what it's like to be a disciple. But those of us that, that follow Jesus, we've, we've, we're, the hand of the king has been on us saying, go. There's something for you to do. And, and, Jesus, and what, well, what is it? Well, it's, it's to take what you've got and share it. You know, not, not in a coercive, pressurizing way, not, not by any means, but to sh- not, not to hide this light that you have. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And he said, you're the light of the world. Then don't hide it. It's to let the presence of Jesus who lives inside of us by his spirit shine. It's to allow that love that has completely transformed our lives to not just stop in us, but to flow out from us so people can get a taste of the love of God through the people of God. It's so that, it's so, well, we'll look at what the things are. I want to start with grace. I really want to just talk about grace initially. What does grace mean? Grace means the undeserved favor of God. And it's something we need to keep talking about because it's outrageous. And outrageous things we tend to stop believing after a while. And we try to manage it and make it something a bit, little bit less outrageous. Um, it, uh, grace is an amazing thing. What grace means is this. You see it in this story. It, it really helps us to put some meat on the bones of what does grace look like. First of all, grace is this. God comes to unimpressive people. Gideon is hiding. right? He hasn't got much. But what he's got, he wants to hold on to. Maybe some of you feel like that. I haven't got much. And I really, you know, he's high, He's beating out wheat in a wine press. I mean, listen, you don't have to be, you know, you have to know Israel, you know, centuries ago to understand that's not what the wine press was for. Okay? It's not, that's not what they did. He's hiding. He does not want the Midianites who have ravaged the land to get this bit of wheat. It's for his family. Okay, so he's hiding away. It's not impressive at all. And yet God comes to him. He's been on God's mind. This hider has been on God's mind. 
This insignificant, weak, the most insignificant in his household has been on the mind of God. So God says, I'm going, to come to, uh, I'm going to come to Gideon. And it's beautiful. Even the way it happens is beautiful. I, I just love the fact that the angel Lord's sitting under the tree. It's so normal. It's, it's so, it's, where's the trumpet? You know, where's the, where's the trumpet? There's no trumpet. He's sitting under the tree. Wow. You see, there's, there's a lesson here for us who are, who, are, who are Jesus lovers. God comes to us in Jesus, who is fully human. You see, God comes and saves us through, through his, his divine son, his eternal son, Jesus, who took on humanity fully. And it's very normal in one sense. When, you, when, you come to, when God calls you in Jesus, he doesn't call you out of humanity. He takes on humanity and calls you to redeem your humanity so that you can know God but still be human. Don't you love that? You haven't got a goal funny. You know, you know, it's so easy, isn't it? When you, when you, you know when you want to be spiritual? I'm not spiritual enough. I must do something. Ch- I'm going to shed my humanity for the day. You, do you know what I mean? You know, everything, and, and you find, you do find, even some Christian things, it's like, it's a subtle kind of just doing down of things that are normal and human. Churches that, that, that do that have not understood that Jesus was human. Not understood the incarnation. He, is, he has redeemed humanity by taking it on and dignified humanity. So he just he comes to this unimpressive man in a very, very normal way. This is the grace of God. And then what he does is he says this outrageous thing. He's beating the, I mean, you've got to get it. Please, let's just, even if you heard it before, you're familiar. Just put yourself in Gideon's shoes. You're hiding. You're looking over your shoulder. All of that. Someone turns up. And calls out to you, mighty man of valour. It's not even confusing, it's insulting. Seriously, I would think the person was like, do you know what I mean? Like, Because Gideon didn't know it was God. Because later when he says, that whole thing with the staff and the fire and the thing, that was Gideon saying, I want to make sure it's you. Right? So it's just someone sitting under a tree. He says, oh, a mighty man of valour. It's like, isn't it? It's like, all right. You'd want to say, well, you know, you know what it's like. You send the Midianites around. What do you, you'd think they were being sarcastic. The call of grace is that outrageous. God says, oh, I've forgiven. Oi, your highness. Because he makes us royalty in Christ. Oi, chosen. And you thought, my whole life I feel rejected. Oi, chosen. Beloved. And it can, be so, it can be so not in line with what you've experienced, you just think, ah, it's grace. And then you look in, the, in his face and you think he's deadly serious. He absolutely means it. It's just what grace does. He offers him a brand new identity, and this new identity is based on God being with him. Mighty man of valour, the Lord is with you. Well, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valour. You see, how do you, how do you get this new identity in Christ? How does it happen? It's God saying, I'm with you now. I'm coming to live in you forever. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you who you are really made to be. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to come and I'm going to dwell in you forever and never forsake you. And from the inside out, I'm going to take you from one degree of glory to another. It's beautiful. You think, wow, what commitment. Absolutely, what commitment. 
Not commit. It's just an amazing thing. And, uh, you know, he says things to him like, go in this might of yours. <laughs> what might? I know I'm with you now. So you've got this might of yours. Mine is yours. Just sharing. Wow. This is the generosity of God in Christ to us. It's an amazing and it's a beautiful thing. And uh, it's step one. Grace. Grace is the foundation. Right? God favours us in Jesus. If you have come to know Jesus, it's because God favours you. He's opened the eyes of your heart. He's revealed the truth of Jesus to you. If you love Jesus, that is a work of God. If you really love Jesus and are looking to follow him, that is a work of God's grace in your life. It means he favours you. It means he's called you. It means he's chosen you. It means he's drawn near to you. It means you've been on his mind. It means that before the foundation of the world, he called you to be loved and forgiven. Do you like that? You, you jolly well should. It's amazing. It's grace, and we are to live out of it. And what it does is it takes our eyes off of ourselves. It takes our eyes off of our own definition of who we are. You all, have a def- you, all have a, you all have a definition of who you are, even if you're not very reflective and you haven't sat down and written it out. You know, you know I mean, I know some of you are very artistic. You've probably got things written down. This is who I am. You know? But I know some of you, you probably never stop to think, this is who I am. But you have a sense of who you are because you live out of your sense of who you are. The way you relate to others comes out of a sense of who you are. If you see certain people, you think, I better not talk to them. That is much more a reflection of how you see yourself than how you see them. You see, we all have this. And God comes and he absolutely redefines our identity. And he says, I'm going to spend the rest of your life helping you really get to grips with who you really are. Which brings us on to the next stage, which is faith. There's three things I want to look at. Number one, grace. Number two, faith. You see, it's one thing for God to say all these things, but how do they begin to go to work powerfully in our lives? We have to actually take God at his word and apply faith in what he says into our situation. And it mustn't be vague. It must not be vague. You mustn't hear what all I just said about your identity in Christ and say, oh yeah, great. But, but what about? No, 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 no. You've got, to, you've got Gideon engages with God. And that's the first sign of faith. Gideon's like, God says the Lord, is, the Lord is with you. Gideon says, well, if the Lord's with us, then why is all this happening? He actually takes God seriously. He actually hears what God says and thinks, hold on a minute. I'm not going to just say hallelujah. That could have sounded like faith. Could have been, hallelujah. And then carry on beating the wheat. No, that's not faith. Well, it can be, but it can't, you know, it can just be nonsense. Makes you feel spiritual. Well, yeah, you know, no. He says, hold on a minute. The Lord is with me. The Lord is with us. If the Lord is with us, why is all this happening? It's very honest. But it's a sign that Gideon is taking what's coming seriously and engaging with it. Do you engage with what God says about you? Do you engage with the promises of God? They are all through scripture. So when you get to John 14, 12, when Jesus says, if you believe in my name, you won't just do the works I've been doing. You'll be do, you do greater works. Hallelujah. Okay, that's one response. Another response is, Lord, <laughs> you serious? That's probably, that's probably a better response. Because you're starting to go, you need, you, I, need to just, I need to check the Greek. Because <laughs> you know what the Greek says it too. Oh man, it's actually, that's it. it. It's right. But look at my life. Doesn't seem like it, Lord. That can be the beginning of faith. That can be the beginning of a really powerful work of God in your life. 
Or does he say, I'm forgiven? I'm just, I just feel kind of heavy and under the cost the whole time. I feel like, I, wait, I feel guilty 24-7. But you say, I'm forgiven. Right, you're starting to engage with God. Oh, Lord, you say you've taken my shame in Jesus. And you, you know what? I, I'm, I, you know what, Lord? I, I live with my head down. Hold on a minute. How does this work? You see, you're engaging with God. This is the beginning of faith. And it takes effort. And effort is not anti-grace. Effort is saying, hold on a minute, hold on. Well, well, I'm not going to slot into some little, have a little spiritual compartment in my life. That's not it. God, God has is, God is come to me in Jesus and has absolutely offered me a, a, an absolute revolution, a, an about turn, and, and this adventure of discipleship. And he's saying all these things to me. I need to come to terms with this. He's, he's honest. He's engaging. He's dissatisfied. He's saying, look, we've heard that, where's the Lord who delivered us out of Egypt? Why's Midian all over us? He's asking the right questions because he's dissatisfied in his spirit. Faith. Because faith expects much of God. And when we're not seeing much of God, the response shouldn't just be some kind of like brush it over or say something spiritual. You say, God, hold on a minute. Why isn't this happening? You know, there's an earnest honesty with God that it's okay. It's not rude. What is rude is when someone lives a, a, a selfish, um, self-preserving, um, kind of self-exalting life and then thinks they can speak honestly to God. And I'll tell God about this too. Just don't do that if you're in the same room as me. Go somewhere else and do it. Because okay? I don't know what God's going to do. But it's not faith and it's not good. But if you are looking to follow him, you have absolute freedom to be honest with him. And it's coming out of the heart of God. I believe you're the Lord and I want to follow you. But I don't get this. That is good. That is relationship, isn't it? I mean, that's relationship. You know those, you know those relationships we have with someone where you think, I just, I don't know, this just is odd. Like, this, it's just funny talk. There's nothing real happening here. I mean, it's not exactly motivated. You don't exactly want to go out for, let's, hey, let's meet again. This is amazing. Let's do this once a week. You're not going to say, oh, you just, it's weird. But if you're with someone, you feel like we're on a level. We're talking and we know what this is like. But that's what God wants with us. Remarkably. But that's what he's after. He wants relationship with us. Wow, this is what faith looks like. Faith also looks like weakness in yourself. He says, Lord, do you know who I am? And do you know who, you know, look, my clan in Manasseh is the least impressive. And in my father's household, I'm the least impressive. God says, yeah, go in your might. I'm with you. It's the same with Moses. Moses just says, why me? And the answer is, I'm with you. As if that solves it all. Well, on one level... On the most fundamental level, it does. I'm offering you my presence. That's what God says. You see, so to be weak in yourself, although it's kind of, it's kind of counterintuitive, it doesn't feel, it's not comfortable, but actually God's really happy with it. And it, it's a good foundation for faith because, it, again, it gets your eyes off you and onto him. You don't, do that, you don't stay there, but you say, all right, you're with me, I'm looking to you. It's an amazing and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then I'd say the final thing that, that we see of faith is that he's, Gideon wants a confirmation. Gideon is saying, now I love this. He says, I want to, if it's you, I want to go and do something. So can you wait here? Because if it's really you that speaks to me, 
Now, it's a, it's a funny little phrase, really, because obviously it was that being. So if Davina said to me, um, Steph, you know, I like your shirt, and I said, well, just to check it's you that's saying it, that'd be weird. It's like, of course, it's, it's in front of my face. So when Gideon says, I want to check it's you, well, he's not saying I want to check it's you. He knows it's this being. What he's saying is, I want to check out your credentials. I want to know that this is God. Because if you're some sort of joker that's just rocked up and started saying God's with you, then forget it. But if you're God... Maybe now we're talking. And so, you see, this is really important because I think as Christians, sometimes we can have a low view of God. And so we feel God's leading us in some way, and it's a big deal, a big thing. Um, But we don't somehow have within us um, the faith to be able to say, God, I just really want to know it's you. Because this is a big deal. Because God is way big enough to be able to confirm things. Did you know that? He's a God of order, not confusion. He's a God who wants to lead us into clarity. And if you start hearing something in quotes that's just a bit out there, don't just do it. This is a big pitfall for some charismatic Christians. They do the most weird and wonderful things. You say, why not? God told me to. Let's talk about that. Tell me about it. And it's like, oh, well, you know, I don't know. I woke up in the morning and I was thinking of a peach. And then, you know... I saw an advert about peaches on TV. Figured I'd, I'd better start a peach farm. You know, it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a ridiculous illustration. But you, you, you think, what on earth possessed you? If it's a big deal, thank God you've got to make it clear. Because if it's God, he can do it, right? Otherwise, what you're doing is really, you're relegating him to the position of an idol that can't do anything. Well, Ben asked God to confirm it. Why? Because he, hasn't, he, he can't do anything. He can't speak. He can't. No, no, that's the idols. That, that's the dumb idols. They've got eyes, but they can't see. They've got ears, but they can't hear. They, 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 you have to move them around yourself. That's the idols. This is God, the living God. Of course, you can confirm things. Right? And especially if it's a bit unusual or a bit big and significant, say, God, you need to make this clear. So Gideon does that. It's faith. It's good. Okay? So engage with God. Be honest dissatisfaction is a good thing when you want to see more of God. It's okay to be weak in and of yourself. I'll tell you a story. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it made me chuckle. It happened at Ignite, a prayer meeting on Friday. We're praying for Alpha. I've got Luke's permission to share this story. Um, we're praying for Alpha. And, 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 and the proctor said, get in pairs and pray. Who are you going to bring? <laughs> so I got in pair with Luke. I said, I said, you know what, Luke? I said, I've got a problem here. I said, Alpha's on Wednesday and... I'm, I'm, I'm away about three out of ten Wednesdays this term. And, you know, if I'm bringing someone to Alpha, I want to go with them. I, I just, I can't, I can't see how I can invite anyone. And then Luke was like, you know what? He said, none of my work colleagues live anywhere near Camden. It's just, it's not going to happen. We just looked at each other and Luke went, oh, maybe we'll just, just pray it goes well. You know, so this, this is one of the pastors, right? And kind of mighty healing gifted prophet. This is the conversation. This is honestly the conversation. We're like, and our conclusion was, well, you pray it goes well. Now, what if every pair, you just imagine for a moment, if every pair had had that conversation, I mean, it would be a very blessed alpha, but no one would be on it. It The food would be amazing, but there would be no one there. And as we're having this conversation, suddenly I just thought, this is pathetic. I said, look, I said, hold on. It's not that bit in the Bible, it says the Lord makes a way where there isn't one. And looks like, oh yeah. And <laughs> I said, maybe we should pray a bit differently. Maybe we should, maybe we should pray that there's some, you know, some of my friends are so keen to go that they, they're happy for me to just take them week one, and then they're flying. 
Uh, maybe you should pray. You, 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 actually, someone starts working at your workplace who does live in the area and really wants to find out about Jesus. Or you bump into a neighbor you've never met before and there's just a, a click. We've got a month to go yet. Do you see what I'm saying? And it's like, what are we thinking? What? I mean, it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, God of the universe. Yeah, I'm aware. A few Wednesdays. Oh, yeah, that's oh. just ridiculous. But it's an illustration of how you've got to earth it and you've got to say, no, come on. We've got to take what God says about himself and apply it in and pray it in and, and alter our perspective in light of it. So, Luke, thank you for your humility, being willing to let me share that. Um, so we've got grace and we've got faith. And the final thing I want to talk about is holiness. Um, but remember what I said at the start. The problem in Judges is that these people that are God's people, holy means set apart. That's what the word means. It's not part of the common lump. You've been sort of carved off. And you've been set apart. You're for a special purpose. And, and during this dispensation, Israel were God's un- unique people. They were, the, they were the people of God. They were, and so in that sense, during this time, they were, they were called to be holy. Uh, and what they constantly do, though, is look around them to the common and say, oh, we'll have a bit of that as well. And we'll have a bit of that. And it's the opposite of holiness. It's like mixing things up. And holiness can be a bit of a tough one for us to engage with, particularly we enjoy the grace of God so much. I mean, the New Testament struggled in the same way. Because Paul would preach and the apostles would preach things like this. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more, right? So the darkest situation seems to bring out even more powerful light to rescue someone's life. That's the gospel. It's amazing. It's powerful. It's like no matter how dark your life is, no matter how lost and hopeless, because of the cross of Jesus, the, it's like the, almost the darker it is, the brighter the light of Jesus shines to come and rescue you. And it's like, wow, that is the gospel. And that's what they were preaching. But people started to accuse the apostles of, of, of basically preaching, oh, so you're saying that people should sin more. Because the more we sin, the more grace we get. And so you find in some of the letters, Romans 6, for example, Paul says, so what are we saying then, that we, should, that, that, um, that we should all sin more so that grace abounds more? And he says, no way. No way. Although it's absolutely true that where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Once you've encountered the grace of God, something so life-changing and revolutionary has happened to you, there's no way you can carry on the way you are. Now, if you look at this situation with Gideon, what God is doing is, is through this grace and this faith and this dynamic, what he's doing is he is setting him apart for his purpose. It's a consecrating thing. He is now, he's being carved away from the compromise. He's being carved away from the unbelief. He's being brought into something holy. That's what grace does. And some Christians sort of pit grace against holiness. It's a ridiculous thing to do. The whole idea of grace that God comes to us in Christ is in, why did why did Jesus have to go through that so that the holiness of God could be preserved? God couldn't just forgive. What kind of holy judge is that? Ah, oh, don't worry, you lot, that'd be all right. He's utterly utterly compromising his holiness. The price for our sin had to be paid. To preserve the holiness of God, hence the cross. And so when, when we experience and taste this grace and we see what it cost, look at what it cost. Jesus broken, Jesus forsaken, Jesus derelict, Jesus, Jesus the beautiful one, becoming sin for us. 
You're saying, oh God, have mercy. And when you see it, your heart is changed and you want to be holy for God. You want to be holy. Holiness is basically this. It's not about adding a load of extra rules. It's, that is not holiness. If you've been around that kind of Christianity, 101 extra biblical rules just to make sure, you know, no. Holiness is saying, God, I am all in with you. That's what it is. It's just saying, it's not, it, you know, it, it's saying, Lord, I'm all yours, 100%. That's what holiness is. It's just saying, Lord, I'm recognizing that through Jesus, you have cut me out of the common lump, if you like, and you've set me apart for you. I'm going to absolutely agree with what you've done. And I'm going to begin to work out what it means to, what it means to, to just to live for your praise, to live for your delight, to live for your love. That's what holiness is. It's a heart thing. It's such a powerful thing. I was meditating a bit on this whole thing of 100% versus 99%. And I think that the difference between 99% giving yourself to Jesus and 100% is bigger than the difference between 1% and 99%. Because when you give 100%, God's got your heart. That's the big deal. And that's all he's ever wanted. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He just wants us. And so when I say, Jesus, I'm all in and I'm all yours, that's a powerful and a beautiful, beautiful thing. And part of it is the fear of God. I mean, I I just love this moment where Gideon sort of, really in some ways, is kind of testing this character under a tree. It doesn't look very impressive. He's saying these bizarre things. And he brings his meat and his bread and his broth. and, And then this guy says, oh yeah, put it on the rock and pour the broth on it. And it's just like, you know, so he does it. And then he reaches out this staff and suddenly it's like, boom. And then suddenly Gideon's like, I think I'm going to die. Because right? when, you, when you touch the holiness and the power of God, there's a fear that comes that's really good. It's really good. I'll tell you why it's really good. Because there's something in us that errs toward playing with fire, wrong fire. Doing stuff we know is wrong. We know God says it's nasty. It's going it's to mess you up. But we, it, the fear of God can keep us from, from that. There's a friend of mine who, uh, on the night his wife went into labour, um, he, he, I think, I think for some reason she, the wife went to hospital first, and he he was left. I think, I think maybe his neighbours, th- th- their neighbours were another couple, and the husband of that neighbour drove his wife to hospital. Something a bit weird. Anyway, I've got details wrong, but that happened. Anyway, this person I know is left with um, the woman neighbour. She says to him, he's a Christian, she says to him, I've never, I've never felt that my husband has understood me in the way that you do. Will you sleep with me? Right? So his wife's in labour. He said, if I'm honest, the one thing, the one thing really, if I'm really honest, the one thing that kept me from that was the fear of God. There are times where you're so vulnerable, either exhausted, discouraged, or whatever, that the only thing that will keep you from the bad move is you fear God. That is massive. But to fear God, you've got to fear God. It doesn't work as a theological label. There has to be something in your heart that goes, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There has to be something in your heart that goes, he's God, 
and look at the extent he's gone to get me, dare I, dare I mess with that? And you just go, no. It's the fear of God. And it's beautiful. It's a lifesaver. And we need it. Because we're a funny old mix. We really need to know the love of God. We really do. But we really need to know the fear of God. And if we only know the one or the other, we go wrong. If you just know the fear of God, but not the love of God, you'll go wrong. But the same is true in the other direction. And the fear of God will help us live holy lives. Just as the grace of God teaches us to say no to unrighteousness, absolutely. It's also the fear of God. We'll do the same. And it's important that we take that seriously. And that we trust that through all these things, through grace, that as we experience God's grace and his unmerited favor in our lives, we can look in the mirror and say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then in our, in our making of disciples, the people in our lives around us can see in us that we are, in a, we are genuinely at peace with ourselves. Why? Because we're at peace with God. And we're not trying to be something we're not. And we're not performing. Okay? We're just we're living in relationship with God. The grace. It's a witness. When we live by faith, this incredible adventure of living by faith, it's a witness. It's a witness that you're not enslaved to possessions or money or your own controlling, but you're living, you're trusting him. You're doing things that people are like, what is that? It's a witness. It's a witness to the adventure of faith. It's a witness to God's work in your life. You haven't got to be ashamed of that. If there are never eyebrows raised, ask questions. The life of faith, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense naturally. It's the spiritual thing. But it's a witness. It gets people, notice people see. And holiness is a witness. Holiness is a really, really important witness. It really is. Because people are not silly. And if your walk does not match up with your talk, people will spot it. And they may not say anything, but they'll spot it. And if, if when your walk does not match up with your talk, you don't apologize, they'll spot that as well. Because for all of us, we get it wrong. At that point, we need to acknowledge it. It's a powerful witness. This is making disciples. As much as proclaiming and inviting to Alpha, it's living in the good of what God has done for us in Jesus. Really engaging with it. Letting, letting these things really soak through us. It's a powerful and a beautiful thing. Amen? Amen.